Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome back to Truth Pod. This is my sixth study in What I Believe series, and this is the third part of that study of uh, hard times, and with it I'll be ending my lesson on hard times. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of living life for you, for loving you, for knowing you. Thank you that we have we can listen to podcasts and learn about you. We can listen to the gospel being preached and know you and grow in, in faith. Thank you for Jesus dying on Calvary, on the cross for us. We bless you and love you. Amen. I'm reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. I want to pick up with the word traitors. Paul was writing about this some 2,000 years ago. He was writing that perilous times was coming, hard times was coming, and uh, we've seen it all through the ages, of course, but it's becoming more pronounced. And more often, you know, it becomes the norm. It's becoming the norm, you know, in our day that we're living in. And uh, the word traitors in the Greek is prodotes, I believe. Um, it appears in Acts uh, 7.52. It talks about it in, uh, in Luke 6.16. If I mentioned the name Judas Iscariot or Benedict Arnold, you would remember them as being the most notorious traitors in all of history one for betraying his country, and the other for betraying his Lord and Savior. Judas walked with Jesus for three and a half years approximately, and then betrayed him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that when the disciples were in the garden that night and, and Judas betrayed our Lord, they were shocked to see him leading a band of soldiers to take away the Lord. You know, I'm sure it, it surprised them. It didn't surprise Jesus. He knew who was going to betray him. But I'm sure it surprised the others to know that one that they trusted, one that they loved, even Jesus showed intimate love for him by the, the position he put him in as handling the money. He trusted him with the finances of the disciples. And um, to see this man turn and betray him, had to just be a shock and a surprise to all of them. You know, it's hard these days to find someone you can trust. Integrity isn't something we can we personally value much anymore. We want those who deal with us to have it, of course, but for ourselves, we have it when it suits us. And that's a sad uh, indictment on our society. You know, we want people, when we're buying a car, you know, we want the person selling us a vehicle to have integrity about them so that we can trust them. 
we should always be the same, right? We should be the same way. We see this most often, traders, we see this most often in broken marriages. You know, people get married, they marry till death do us part. That is the, the part of the wedding vows, you know, that's a part of the, the ceremony and a part of what they say together, you know, and, and as the preacher's saying it and they agree to it, you know, yes, you know, until death, you know, do we part or richer or poor, you know, and sickness and health and the whole works there. And yet, you know, we have so many broken marriages in this world, in this nation alone. We have so many broken marriages because someone betrayed the other. You know, someone loved someone else or fell in love with someone else or fell out of love with the one they were married. And that's where I see this traitor uh, mainly in this day we're living in is uh, in broken marriages. Number, uh, number 16 on my list here is Hetty. Greek, propetes, rash, hasty, reckless, Headstrong, translated rashly in Acts 19.36. Why are people so angry? You know, why are people so angry? I mean, you, you drive by them and they'll flip you off or, you know, you look them in the face and they look mean at you or whatever it is. People are angry. You could talk to them and, and immediately, you know, they grow angry. It seems like this is the go-to emotion for so many people in our world. You know, anger. They blow up at the least little thing. You know, I mean, if something's wrong, something messes up, you know, they immediately blow up. Immediately, they turn to anger. Rash, heady. That's what the, what the word is. Uh, heady is what Paul was talking about. Number 17 is on my list here is high-minded. Greek, tufo, senseless, conceited, silly. To envelop with smoke, i.e. figuratively, of course, to inflate with self-conceit. They're high-minded. To be lifted up with pride, to wrap in a mist, to make proud, puff up with pride, render insolent to be puffed up with haughtiness or pride, to blind with pride or conceit, to render foolish or stupid, or to be clouded. In other words, that person that you're looking at is not really who you're looking at. They're, they're putting up a smoke screen. You know, they're fake. They want you to think of them as one way, but actually inside, they're different. Or when they're by themselves, they're different. Or when they're with family, they're different. So they put up a smoke screen, high-minded, you know, they, they think of themselves better than they are, you know, and they have an exaggerated ego, as we would say today. Number 18, lovers of pleasure. It's 2 Timothy 3 and 4, sensual gratification is their God. Pleasure is their God. Do you know anyone like this? Pleasure is the most important thing on their list, okay? It's nothing else matter. This is evident by the fact that they'd rather be fishing, hunting, or watching football than be in church on Sunday morning. Can you believe that? They're people 
I, I find it, you know, odd. I, when I go by and I'm driving to church, somebody's out there and they're mowing their lawn, and I'm thinking, why aren't they in church? I mean, mowing their lawn, um, now, hey, benefit of the doubt, they could have went to church the night before, or their church is later in the day. Hopefully that's the case. But a lot of times it isn't. A lot of times people use church time for pleasure time. You know, they take that time off and they say, well, this is the only time I really have off. So, you know, I don't want to spend it in church. Come on. We're talking probably an hour, hour and a half, you know, in church. And they don't want to do that because they'd rather be doing all these other things that do not satisfy the soul. Oh, yeah, it'll make them smile for a little bit. It'll make them feel good for a little bit. You know, whatever the excitement is, whatever they're doing, whatever pleasurable thing they're into. But it won't satisfy their soul. They'll still be hungry inside and spiritually for their soul to be fed. Now, I know it'll make some people mad. I'm just trying to be to state the obvious about these things, how we would rather be out boating or we'd rather be out golfing or going to a football game or a baseball game or whatever it is, you know, than to be in church. Now, I don't say that to be rude with people. You know, I, I believe I don't think there's anything in the world wrong with having pleasure. I believe God gave us and wants us to have pleasure. You know, he made us. God made us. And he made us with that uh, with that desire to have good time, to enjoy people, to uh, enjoy family, to enjoy outings, to, you know, do the boating, to do the fishing, to do the uh, whatever it may be. But there's a proper time for that. You know, have we made it our God? Do we make it our God, I guess should be the question. Is it your God? Have you made it your God? Pleasure. Lovers of pleasure. But they exclude God out of the picture. That's these people. They love pleasure and they exclude God out of the picture. Let me tell you, here's a little secret. And you may find it hard to believe, but if you will add God into your life, you will find those pleasure moments more enjoyable, more fulfilling, and more rewarding. Now, it's also talking about sensual gratification. They live for sex or sexual activity. Porn is their slave master. It's like a drug. They live for their next fix. Sex is promoted on TV. Almost every show or movie has some form of sex in it. You can't hardly turn your TV on to watch what is supposed to be a comedy show turn into some sex activity or what's supposed to be a good drama or cop show or, or whatever turn into, you know, a sex show. Something you have to put your hands over your eyes or your children's eyes. You don't want them around to see it. And, uh, you know, it's embarrassing and it's promoted constantly. Lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure. Hmm. Number 19, having a form of godliness. The Greek is morpho morphosis, a semblance, a sketch, a form. Their religion 
is only in their creed and formal confession of faith, but not in their hearts. This is These are the churches. These are the people who, uh, you know, they say, yes, we love God or whatever, but their life does not back it up. There's no evidence. You see them and there is no difference in the lifestyle that they live and the lifestyle that the pagans live. There's no difference. You see these people and um, it looks like, you know, it looks like they look like they got a, you know, something going on. But when you look under the surface, you realize it's not there. I think it's like kind of like what Jesus, when he was talking about with the uh, Pharisees, and he says, you know, that they were full of dead men's bone. Outwardly, they appeared righteous. They appeared religious and very pious, you know, and and they looked they looked the part, but that was just it. They looked the part. Jesus said, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. You know, God still sees us, and we may fool other people. We might kid other people. You know, we might act like, you know, we're so pious and all this in one way or another, but let me tell you, when you're home alone, God still sees you. God knows, and he's aware. More and more churches are becoming politically correct. They no longer preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They no longer preach that Jesus died on Calvary's cross for sinners to pay their debt, to satisfy the holiness of God. They no longer preach that. They no longer preach about the virgin birth. They no longer talk about how that Jesus, when he was born, was born of the Virgin Mary. They no longer talk about that. They no longer talk about the resurrection. Rather, instead, they, they have nice little poems they read, you know, or nice little stories, you know, or all of these how to fix yourself, how to make yourself better. But they're not preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't preach this because they fear of they're they're afraid of losing people or offending someone. You know, they don't talk about hell because they don't want someone to think, oh man, he's talking about hell. I'm going to have nightmares or my children are going to have nightmares and, you know, and all of this. So they don't talk about hell. They don't talk about the rapture of the church, Jesus Christ coming back for his people in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, because they don't want to scare anybody. They don't want to talk about the end times and things wrapping up in this world because they don't want to offend someone and lose someone. Now, if you don't want to hear about sin, these are good churches to go to because they won't talk about it. But it'd be like going to a doctor who always tells you how great you're doing. You know, even though you're overweight, even though you have high blood pressure and you got this strange cough going on. I wouldn't want to go to a doctor like that. I want to go to a doctor who's going to tell me what's wrong with me and then fix me, you know, if they possibly can. That's what I want. So I want to go to a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of my Lord. I want to go to that kind of church so I can hear about what's wrong with me, the sin in my life, and then what can be done to remedy that? And that remedy, of course, 
is Jesus. Now, there's a lot of churches. There's a lot of churches on the streets, you know. You go to any big city, you drive by, you see these big immaculate buildings and some small and, you know. But you got to find one that preaches the gospel, preaches the truth. Otherwise, you're just finding a place that has a form of godliness. They just have a pretense, but they don't have the real thing. And then Paul says, they deny the power of godliness. Denying the power of godliness, 2 Timothy 3 and 5. Destitute of godliness. Having no faith that one can be godly in this life. You know, they preach, well, you're okay. You are the way you are. And, you know, you're all right. You know, denying the power that Jesus Christ still changes lives. That he can take a sinner. That he can take you and I. And he can change us. And he can give us power to live a godly life. Wow. He really can. You know, you and I, we might have blown it a time or two. We might have, you know, sinned. But let me tell you, he can give you the power to stand again. He gives us power so that sin does not have dominion over us. So you can have power to live for Jesus. But let me tell you, it's like Jesus living through you. You know, uh, it isn't so much the things I don't, I, I don't do. It's what he does in me and how he lives through me. The Bible teaches us that we can live godly in this present world. Look at Titus 2 and 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, English Standard Version, training us to renounce ungodliness. You know, the thing about it is, oftentimes we've got to let go of one thing to take a hold of another. We've got to let go of ungodliness. If the Bible says it's sin, we've got to be able to let it go. We've got to say, you know, your sin I will not let you have dominion over me, and I will not be a slave to you anymore. So he says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. That's a big one right there. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled. You and I. He gives us power to do it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us power to live a self-controlled life. To gives us, he gives us power to live an upright life. Upright in his sight, not in others, but in his sight. And to live a godly life. Why? Because he loves us. He gives us the power to live for him. You know, you're not on, on, on your own when you're living for Jesus. Our problem with living godly is that we haven't given up the ungodly things of life. They cannot coexist together, you know, just like darkness cannot coexist with light. Light always cancels out darkness. Paul says, if you know people that promote a lifestyle of denying godliness, turn away from them. Turn away from them. Don't hang around them. If you've got friends that are promoting ungodliness and they're wanting you and pulling you in that direction, get away from them, you know. 
They will get you to believe their lie if you keep hanging around them. Believe the Bible and you will never go wrong. Believe the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and he will direct your paths. So deny they uh, denying the power of godliness. And that was the final one. The world's a scary place to live in. This world is a scary place to live in. With all the things that's going on, you you, you know, you look at the news and uh, more and more I'm trying not to watch the news, you know, because it's just, it's all bad, you know. Seldom do you find anything on it that's good or that's, uh, you know, encouraging. You know, so it's a scary place to live in. And uh, I've talked about in this study all the things in in this study that prove what's going on is hard, you know. So um, I want to listen. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this: "I have said these things to you that in you, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart; I have overcome the world." So Jesus was talking to his disciples right there, and he says to them, I want you to have peace. And he's also telling you and I, child of God, I want you to have peace. Yes, it may be rough out there in the world. It may be crazy, and you don't know how things are going to end up and what things are looking, you know, or what things are going to end up looking like when they're done. But he says, I want you to have peace. And you know what? I really want that peace. In these hard times, I want the peace of Christ ruling in my heart. How about you? I want his peace to settle in me. And the reason we can have it is because he overcame the world. And he lives in our hearts and lives right now. Thank you for listening today. I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. And that his uh, presence would go before you. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.